Star Trek Picard, Season 3, Episode 5, Imposters. Another home run, I would say. Yeah, that was a very good episode. I was worried about Jonathan Frakes not directing it, but they, they nailed it. All right, yeah, so some, some questions we had answered. Um, why the changelings look the way they do, why they look more meaty and gross, is because they are, according to Beverly, evolution. I don't know if I believe that. Probably accelerated evolution, some kind of drug or whatever, but they're sneaking in much better than they did in DS9, which they still snuck in very well. And I like the heightened um, thing that we talked about a few episodes, the trust no one thing. They did a good job with that in this. I'm just, I was thinking about X-Files, the trust no one and infiltration within the government that goes all the way to the top and now we have it in Starfleet. And I mean, it's fascinating though, because it's like, oh my gosh, this is really bad. So we, we have a legit, pretty scary scenario on our hands as set up for the season. Uh, I love just how some things are starting to come together, including how the original cast is starting to come together more and more and more here. Yeah. I like that since the Dominion War, they've had steps in place to detect changelings. So it just made me think of like kind of the parallels to 9-11 and how that changes the government and that changes things. And they, they need the heightened security, but the changelings have found a way around it. And just um, to give, if anyone is very young listening to this, to give context, when I was a kid, you could go and wave to the plane as people you knew were taking off. Yeah, you could walk right up to the... You had to go through security, in. but you, you could go all the way to the gate regardless of ticket status. And then you could also be at the gate as people were like arriving. Uh, so that was a piece you never had to take off your shoes. And liquid was not a big concern. Yeah. Liquid could be changelings. <laughs> <laughs> we just have to look for their pots. <laughs> um, but yeah, so just, just well done all around. And a lot of this happened in DS9, but it doesn't bother me at all. It feels well done and fresh. And I liked DS9. Yeah, we're starting to start some of Well, that's the thing, though. There's Normally, you're going to be at a poll. When you've got a lot to say, you're going to be at a poll of it was really bad or it's really good. And this is one of those, like, whenever I rate books, I'm a very rare five-star rater. You've, you've got to be truly excellent. And this is one of those, like, five-star moments for me where I'm like, this was good. Yeah. Yeah, I guess let's start with Roe Laren. So we mentioned this before, but I didn't look on IMDb or anything to see who the cast was because I wanted to be surprised by who showed up, you know, outside of who was on the promotional pictures or whatever. And I did not expect Roe Laren to show up. Um, so she was a character from Star Trek, The Next Generation. They did a real good job of fleshing out the background through dialogue. Yeah. Of, even if you forgot those episodes or didn't see them, you could still see kind of what happened. Huge redemption arc here for both Picard and Roe. Yeah, and it leans into the trust things that they've been talking about the last few episodes, but they had to prove to each other that they were who each other are, which was well done. Proved by pain. Right, exposing their vulnerabilities or whatever, which neither of them would be particularly good at doing in the past. The moment she took him into the holodeck, I knew kind of where that was going, that they were going to actually be allies and, and be like, hey, this changeling thing, because there's no other need for secrecy at that level. One thing it did, though, when Picard turned off the safety protocols, it did make me think of the movie First Contact, where that's how he beat some Borg, is he turned off the safety protocols and had some holograms take out the Borg. So I was, like, thinking that he was going to do that again. So it, it misdirected me, which was good. Um, but still played homage to another thing within the 
universe, the Star Trek universe. Yeah. So they keep doing it. They keep dropping little eggs here for people who remember stuff. It's funny because I do not remember anything like this. <laughs> and even when you were talking about Ro, I was like, Ro who? What? Like, and I recognize the actress, but I don't remember the backstory at all. Yeah, no, I remember. So, she, they, but they explained it well here. Yeah. She joined the Maquis, which was like a terrorist group of freedom fighters for the Bajorans. And I mentioned to you when we were watching, in Deep Space Nine, the character of Kara Nuris was originally written to be Ro. And I, I don't know why they switched it, but it's essentially mm-hmm. the same character. She was a semi-regular on TNG before betraying them. Uh, so it was done well. I don't know if she'd be able to claw her way back into Starfleet, uh, but whatever. She did. Well, her explanation actually made sense. And we also don't know if the infiltration of the changelings are part of the reason she was allowed back in. My guess, though, is if you kind of think about it from like a computer hacker perspective, some of the best hackers are actually lured in by the government because of their hacking abilities because they were hackers. Right. So this is not a, an unusual move or getting someone to testify, you getting a mid-level fish to get the big fish. And so it, it's, it makes sense given her, as she said, terrorist connections to bring her in. She would be an asset. The big reveal is that she is on the other end of Worf and Raffi, mm-hmm. which was cool. The Worf and Raffi stuff was okay. I like what it is. And I like the actress who plays Raffi in general. I do not like how she continuously plays Raffi as a petulant adolescent. Well, her impulsiveness is, you know, Worf is trying to teach her a lesson. But we also saw he was still impulsive. He would, whatever sacrifice he gave up, he got mad and threw the dagger or the knife into the ground. So they're not that dissimilar. He's temperamental. He's just been working on himself. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but she's always like, Every time she is told no and what she doesn't want to hear, it reminds me of our six-year-old. Like, <laughs> yeah, it, 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 I feel like it's getting old because this was every season in Picard. There's been no growth in this area. Every time she's told no, when first she's, it's just her. And then, then we learn it's her and Worf and then they're told no. It's just like every time. And I'm just like, come on. And trust in him a little bit too. We have this theme of trust and he's showing her time and time again here. And so I just, I hope that gets better because it is a little grating. But the shifts between Worf's and and Rafi scenes and um, the Titan scenes didn't feel as sometimes jarring as it had in some other episodes. Like I just felt the flow was really good here. Yeah, I agree with you. Watching Rafi has always been kind of grating on me all three seasons. But her working with Worf is, is a little bit better. I like them as a team. I just hope this aspect improves. Well, I like the training session they had where they were sparring, but then when he wanted to kick her ass, he easily did it, which tells us that, you know, he, he purposely <laughs> lost the fight when they were set up to fight. I like when they were sparring, though, and he just put one hand behind his back. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know if you noticed, but the Klingon theme song came on at that point. Oh, no, I didn't. So, yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> so they faked his death. I knew that. That knife, it takes more than that to kill Worf. Uh, the Vulcan should have figured that out. But, oh, the agent's Kayla's breathing. <laughs> but it only works because it was Worf. It's I was like, going to say, oh. I, I only get it because it's him. It, was, it, it is funny because I was like, for a moment, I was like, are they going to kill Worf here? And I was like, they can't do that. Yeah, no can't do that. I do not accept this. And then when I actually saw his quote unquote death scene, I was like, that was way underdone. He's definitely not dead. I believe that 100%. And then he wasn't. 
But when the row thing was happening, I was like, she's gone. Yeah. This is going to be it. This is a noble ending. And, and it also just makes sense for her character. It's tragic. But in all of this... Yeah, so the um, so before we go back to Ro, let's just stick on Worf and Raffi and finish out that little section. So, right, he had, he had that goofy thing that, that worked well because it was Worf. The gangsters, I thought they were Romulans when they walked out, but he was a Vulcan. I, I, guess, I don't know if they all were, but I don't know what to think about that. I thought it was interesting. I kind of yeah. like it because I think it's absurd to think that no Vulcan could ever be that. So I like that they're showing the shades of gray, but in the way that it would make the most sense. So that Vulcan, his logic was interesting to me of he's basically saying you cannot have light without darkness. I am performing a role that is necessary, but I will do it most efficiently. So logic, logic right there. Yeah. Um, and well, I he could was, see um, that. <laughs> it wasn't that. It was more the portrayal. He's like more emotional than you think of for a Vulcan. Yeah. Now, Vulcans are weird because their non-emotionality is not genetic. It's... Trend. It's cultural, right? Which is, you know, I don't think it would really work that way, but whatever. So, and Romulans are cousins of Vulcans, and they chose to not go that route, and that's why they're much more surly. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, so I guess it does work, but it's just kind of jarring to see a Vulcan acting like a Romulan, and then also just we got to keep in mind he probably was stuck there with Worf behind his back, but Vulcans are very strong; they're like ten times stronger than humans, and three times stronger than Klingons or whatever. So it's good that he snuck up on him because in a fist fight, as much as I love Worf, and in DS9, they did kind of say that Worf was equivalent to a Vulcan when they had that baseball episode because <laughs> they said only Worf could uh, have the power to, to play with the Vulcans. Vulcans are, are very, very tough. Okay. I did like that portrayal, the guy who played that Vulcan. Well, he was a good gangster. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I just, I, I really enjoyed it. Because sometimes, you know, when they have a character that they just need to fill in for this role, for this, sometimes they're fine. But this is one where I'm like, this person was well cast. I, I really liked how the raspiness of his voice yeah. and just his entire portrayal, I, I really appreciated. And I'll just point out that um, they should have stun gun Sneed instead of cutting his head off, as I pointed out a few episodes ago. Well, and the guy who was like, well, you know, you're not going to kill me because you need to ask me questions. And I was like, well, that's not what happened with, with Sneed. So yeah. you don't actually know that. Use your logic here. Going back to Ro, well, we, we talked about her kind of character arc, which they, they did well. Yeah. And I was kind of sad to see her go, but it also it made sense to do it all confined into one episode. And it leaves room if they bring up more surprise people like that. Well, and also, where else could she come out if they do continue series with any previous cast members at this point, given her characterization over the course of, you know, the, the series here? But also her relation to John Luke. Like, if this is the last season of Picard, it really was the best way for her character. Yeah. So I get it with that, where it wouldn't fit necessarily with some other characters. No, yeah, no, it was good that they, that they had it one and done. And they pulled it off incredibly well. Like, it felt emotional. Yeah. So her plan was to sabotage the Intrepid so that Titan can get, a, get away. And that worked, but it also allows the Intrepid, whoever there is not Changelings or are Changelings or whatever, they can spread the message through Starfleet that Titan is Changelings or mm -hmm. Titan, whatever. They can say whatever message they want. So even though her plan worked, it also did give them the perfect framing they need, which is what Riker said. Well, and their ability to control the narrative is gone. Titans can... Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but like... 
right. a lot of that there, but it, it was probably happening anyway. Well, it adds a nice little whole new th- thing to this season is that now they're on the run from Starfleet and Starfleet could be good guys, could be bad guys, whatever. But they, um, you know, Shaw was reluctant to do all this. He was slow to realize what was happening. But one thing I will say, I've been kind of criticizing the use of swear words in Star Trek because it's un-Star trek but it works for Shaw. Mm-hmm. He's, he'd sweared at the beginning. I can't remember what it said and it came off just right. So Yeah, he, he's like this it. cantankerous guy. And something that I was thinking about in this episode is, again, is some of these secondary or tertiary characters, sometimes you're just like, eh, whatever, and I'm just getting used to that. We're here as a secondary character, if that's a correct classification for him. Like, I actually really like him. Like, yeah, he's a total dick, but we, we have all these layers there, and at least he's consistent. I hate when you have a character where you, you know them and they're a dick, and then, yes, you add in the layers, but then they, they lose all yeah. of their assholery. And it's like, no, like, that, that pisses me off. We're here. I love that he's consistently an asshole, and yet he still has these redeeming qualities I enjoy him here in these interactions and, and that. And of course, you know, just the same way how he went after Riker and Picard, he ended up, you know, doing this. Like at the end of the episode of, of Oh, going yeah, he off. ended up like, doing the right thing. So it's the same thing, yeah. like where we see this again, but. Well, and I like that when he called security and then Riker shut it down and we, we didn't get it and it would have taken us in a different tangent, but it, that was essentially leading up to a mutiny had things not changed in that moment. So it would have been interesting, like these poor Starfleet people being told what to do by the different captains. Yeah, that would suck. But yeah, so that's, it's good. And also because even though he's a, like a secondary character, which again, I, that's not, I don't know if we should call him that, but he's a non-TNG character, but he's still a captain. So he has power. So he has to be a big part of it. Mm-hmm. And they're doing a good job of like reminding us of that. Well, and also the transfer of power that happened, that he was capable again and he should have gotten his command back. Yeah. I am curious if we're going to see more. I I can accept that we didn't get it this episode because there's a lot happening pretty fast. But I would like for him and Picard to talk about what was said in 10 forward. Yeah, the Uh, the Borg. Yeah, I feel like that's a a loose end here. Well, if they both survive, I feel like at some point it will be Shaw will forgive him in some way, explicitly or implicitly or whatever. Or even just let go. Yeah. For himself. I do think that will be in the end if they make it that far, but I could definitely see Shaw not making it. Um, but I hope he does because he's an interesting character. And, I, I hope and he it does seems too. too easy to take him out. You know? Well, and we're just so used to very, even when they're like can, cranky in other ways, but we're used to the very goody two shoes captains, including the rogues like Kirk. But Shaw is a very different kind of captain than we typically see. And I like that. Well, there's been in the past, I don't know if you remember, in the chain of command one where Picard was tortured by the Cardassians, they had Captain Jellicoe who took over the Enterprise and him and Riker were butting heads all the time. And Shaw is a Jellicoe-type character, but Jellicoe was used as the antagonist in that show, whereas Shaw is not. He's he's an antagonist in personalities, but he's not the person that we're rooting against. So I I still, because I mean, I remember questioning, like, that's captain-like behavior, but then we saw Riker do it. So that's just the way that they're going this season with it. But I think that's what I mean, is I like that with him, where he still can be a good captain, but yet (laughs) he's not, he doesn't have as much likability as a lot of the other 
you know, main character captains that we typically see where yeah. they're just. A lot of stuff happened with Jack this episode. Um, so it starts off with him having a vision of him killing people while he's wearing a Starfleet uniform. So a possible future. Uh, and he ends up in that Starfleet uniform, which makes him obviously very, very wary. So I don't know if he has some glimpses to the future or not, or possible futures. And then he is also some kind of superhuman because he takes off four changelings. Mm-hmm. And the changelings are much tougher than humans. I don't know if these meat changelings are, but the original DS9 changelings could turn their hands into like blades and stuff. Because there was an episode where a changeling just killed a Klingon very easily by just turning his hand into a uh, blade. If I remember, it's possible I'm making this up, but I'm not even <laughs> sure I'm not. So that, that was one thing, though, that kind of irked me when Worf took out the changeling in the episode two or whatever it was. Like, changelings don't get taken out like that. But maybe these meat ones do. Mm-hmm. But regardless, Crusher takes out four of them, which would be impossible for pretty much anyone. Um, and he does it. Something goes online in his brain, and he turns into the Terminator. Well, and one of the things I said that it's a criticism of mine here, maybe a small one, but only now all this stuff with Jack is coming forward. So all this other time we haven't seen it. And you said, well, maybe it was happening and we just weren't privy to it. And I, I tried to hold that. His mom would have noticed. His well, mom would have known already. And she's only noticing now because of your dad and you've been, we've been chased and all this. Because she's only saying it as like psychological trauma reaction to very recent events. And this should have been going on. Well, I don't know. So I, I think this is new to him, although I think it happened when he was a kid, which they said with his nightmares, and he doesn't remember. But I think maybe this all just did turn on in the last two days, and he, he doesn't understand it. Hmm. So my first thought was like, oh, he's probably lived with this for a while, and it's just the way he is. But I don't know. I, maybe it was just activated. Yeah, and, and um, maybe that'll all get explained, and we'll see. I just... Uh... Well, the good thing is he tells his mom at the end that... There's something very wrong with him, which is what he should do, mm-hmm. right? He should tell the doctor that he's a schizo or whatever, um, and they can... <laughs> or not, <laughs> and and just saying, hey, this is happening. I just feel like in the Star Trek universe, there could be tons of reasons to cause something this, like like this. Well, yeah, right. He keeps being seeing this door and being told to find me. and it's... In his mother's voice. Right. That's, that's what's throwing me off. So at first I thought, maybe there's some connection to Wesley here. Because Wesley is like a space god or whatever. But it's in her voice. It reminds me of the episode. It might have even been called Find Me. I don't know what it's called. Where Beverly is stuck on the ship and everyone keeps disappearing. Because the warp bubble is getting smaller and smaller. And by the end of the episode, she's the only one left on the ship. And Wesley gets her out of it. Could be totally unrelated. But her saying that makes me think of that episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is her voice. I just looked it up. That episode where everyone's disappearing is called Remember Me, Not Find Me. So I was close. But yeah, who knows? And we've talked about this in all of our other episodes, but they're introducing questions and then they're answering them quickly, like same or next episode. But the only ongoing mystery here, not the only one, but the main ongoing mystery here is who, who's Jack Crusher? Why is he like this? And why is he special? And why do they want him? Which is good we, that we don't know that. Well, and we have a little bit more information than we did before because he took out quickly and easily. He kind of snapped into a different persona and took out those four changelings. So that might be part of the reason why they want him is because he could ultimately be their demise. Yeah. Yeah. Or get in the way of whatever they're currently concocting. And it does make me wonder if they're going to try to tie this back at all to the other seasons of Picard. Because in season 
one, they were going this route of synthetic life forms. And we know Picard is a synthetic life form and maybe Crusher well, is too. Um, well, we know that Data, or um, not Data, but uh, the scientist name who made Data. Oh, Dr. Noonien Soon? Yes, <laughs> Yeah. Dr. Sue. Oh, yeah. He's coming because he's on the... I, I already know that LaForge and Doc, or, uh, yeah, Dr. Soon are coming back because they're both on the, the promotional posters. Well, you know Brent Spiner's coming back. He could be Soon or Data or somebody else. But yeah, so anyways, who knows about Jack? Those, those things in the background, those weird red things... Well, where my mind is kind of going is I can't really remember. So this is where I'll have to rely on you. Um, and I think they referenced it once so far this season. But the Chainlings have like a mother source, right? Well, they have the Great Link, which is oh yeah, yeah, a big lake that they all go in and turn into goo and interact with each other. Well, and that's what I'm kind of wondering if there's some like Great Link component, and Jack is a part of that. I still think the Changelings are probably not the main bad guys here. I mm-hmm. think they're working for some other bad guy, um, which that would be cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, it just keeps getting better and better. I feel like every episode's progressed. We're halfway through. It makes me sad. There's only five left. But yeah, I think it's been great. It's such an awesome modern day Star Trek. So it takes so many of the elements that a lot of fans love and keep it there and keep it present. And you're getting your dose of Star Trek. But it's also Star Trek for 2023, which I think is amazing. You had been commenting to me that you were reading something about Jonathan Franks talking about just the set and how there were so many more possibilities about filming and stuff compared to when he filmed. And so it's just updated. And so I feel like we're getting all the old things that we love with all the benefits of modern day here. And I think that's why I love this season so much right now is it's just the best of both worlds. Maybe which is why other seasons were disappointing for me because it just fell flat given all that's possible. I hope it's getting the viewership it deserves. That Paramount Plus paywall is, oh. is a barrier. And I, I posted something on Facebook that we were doing this podcast and people didn't know this was a thing, you know? <laughs> so it's like, like people don't even know that there's a Picard or whatever. So I hope it's getting good. But just, just for, from my point of view, it's like, seems almost uh, like Emmy. Oh, I was thinking you know, that. Yeah. I, I think Patrick Stewart should get an Emmy for this. Yeah, or Frakes. Yeah. Because... He has the ability to take just like a typical scene and, and make it an Emmy-winning performance. And I feel like I've gotten a couple of those now. Yeah, he really turned it up this episode. I mean, he, he's he's brilliant. His acting is just just as good as it's ever been. And I, I just, I, I love it. And, and I think some of the direction and things too, and, and just creativity to come together and, and pull it off and... I just love it. So my my hope is that we get more and more of that still. And the Jack Crusher, he's no slouch either when it comes to acting. He, I thought this episode was his best performance. And well, a lot of those Brits get that what Shakespearean training or something. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, we got this one out really early this week. <laughs> so I hope the three of you listening uh, are excited about that. All right. Anything else? No. I'm looking forward to the next one. All right. Talk to you later.